Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. Well, I'm back from my travels and a very busy week in Hamburg, bringing you our daily podcast from the ITS World Congress, thanks to the sponsorship of Swarco and Gevi. But we're still talking transport technology one more time as we use some content we didn't have time for during last week's show on this week's Highways Voices. But we're also able to detect pedestrians and cyclists to give them plenty of time to make it through the intersection safely. We're using the image for much more information to tell the operators how many vehicles, how many cars, how many trucks, how many bikes. We want to be really radical. In five, ten years time we won't see signs on the side of the road. There's a lot of use cases where services can be improved if they can use data that's also generated for mobility operations. So I guess it's a sixth hamburger for the price of five this week on Highways Voices. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous sponsorship of Waco and Gevi. And I'm glad to have my partner in crime, Adrian Tatum, along for this week's show. Adrian will be chatting Congress in a moment, but first let's catch up with the news you've been running while I've been away on the Highways News website. So this week, a severe bus driver shortage is forcing operators to cancel services, with West of England the Metro Mayor Dan Norris branding it a public transport crisis. First, bus and stagecoach are having to take drastic action, while campaigners say rural communities are being cut off across Bristol and South Gloucestershire. Elsewhere, the UK's first nudge behavioural trial for a new style of potentially life-saving pedestrian crossings has been launched in Liverpool this week. The eye-catching designs have been installed at two collision hotspots in the city and one just outside the city. Coventry City Council is making progress with a trial that will see 150 people given 3,000 pounds to give up their cars and use public transport instead. P- people are taking part in the incentive will receive three thousand pounds loaded onto a travel card, even if their vehicle is worth less than this amount. And National Highways has outlined plans for the area around Huntington Railway Station and the demolition of the viaduct as the A14 Cambridge to Huntington Improvement Scheme enters its final stage. OK, thank you, Adrian. Remember, you can get all the news you need to your inbox every lunchtime with our midday briefing. You just have to sign up at highways-news.com slash subscribe. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. So a really busy and successful week in Hamburg last week and lots to talk about, Adrian. Yeah, so I was wondering... Prior to Congress, we spoke a lot about the return of an in-person event. But did you get a sense that business in the ITS and transport industry across Europe was getting back to normal as well? Well, I guess, you know, it's always very difficult to tell when you're in a a room full of people showing off their latest gizmos and uh, solutions. But actually, I certainly did enjoy the sense of normality that we had. Yes, so we were all sort of walking around. You all had to be masked up and everywhere in Germany you had to show your COVID passes. So you had to walk around with a wristband on to prove the your vaccine status all week. But, you know, certainly people, once you'd got over the, hey, isn't it great to see you in person bit, it was back to old times of just talking about solutions. I guess the difference is a lot more solutions this year were focusing on active travel than uh, any year before. And we'll we'll hear some interviews about that in a moment. And also probably the biggest subject that we've written about, as you know, over the last two years on Highways News has been about carbon reduction. Was, was there clear evidence 
of terms of of new innovation that you saw last week? Um, you know, as opposed to just active travel. Um, I think active travel was the main thing, but there was just an underlying trend that everybody you spoke to from when I went to talk to Ameson about their predictive traffic solution so they're basically forecasting traffic jams that you can stop happening before they happen so to speak that was with an environmental reason you know the, there's a lot with going on with electric vehicles again all an environmental reason so so pretty much it's a given that any ITS solution that we're showing off now has got to have a value when it comes to reducing emissions and also it's still clear that ITS and transport innovation still have a big role to play in driving forward future developments on our highways and transport networks. So how did that come across at Congress? It was very interesting, this uh, new innovation from Volkswagen called Moya, where they're promising uh, to have fully driverless vehicles on the streets of Hamburg by 2024 and 2025 at the very, very latest. And uh, I think while trying them out with a human driver, I worked out how they plan to do this. It's because they're not going to try and completely replace the driver in as much as you drive exactly from point A to exactly point B. It was kind of like virtual bus stops. So when I summoned one of the vehicles, it said, right, go to this particular place and wait. And it was within maybe 100, 200 yards of uh, of where I was when I called the vehicle. And likewise, it didn't drop me off right outside the door of one, where I wanted to go. It dropped me off near and certainly near enough. But it meant that it was really efficient and it was really good quality and good uh, value for money as well. Um, and it was ride sharing. And I think I could see how they could do that with, with driverless. Active travel was everywhere. I had a go on my first electric scooter in Hamburg. And you know I'm a bit of a sceptic around electric scooters, so I certainly wasn't one of those people that I have problems with who was whizzing around really really fast just really close to people but I had a go on that and there were also lots of business deals all the way through the week so we'll hear from Teledyne Fleur and they're exhibiting as a joint company for the first time and of course we talked a lot to our sponsors Swaco who've just bought Dinic Mobility. So I saw that video of you on, on Instagram um how was the travel you've mentioned active travel but but what else did you see that in terms of that? Yes, my lovely wife posted a video of me on an electric scooter on Instagram. How pleased I was with that, as you can probably imagine. It was a lot of work on making active travel safer. Uh, Let's actually hear, Adrian, from Dave Powell of Cubic, because they've got a solution to help active travel, which was definitely the focus of their Congress. So this year we're showing off um, the the GridSmart camera. Um, The GridSmart camera is a great solution. Um, promoting safer intersection use, so really promoting active travel by making vulnerable users of the road network feel safer. Um, So with the GridSmart camera we're able to do standard detection as you would with loops or other mechanisms, but we're also able to detect pedestrians and cyclists to give them plenty of time to make it through the intersection safely, but also to prioritise them as as an object within the network. Now, we all know that at the moment most systems prioritise cars. If we're going to convince people to use active travel, we have to make sure that that they also are prioritised as as users. So the GridSmart camera allows you to change phasing of the traffic signals to promote longer um, pedestrian use or cyclist use. 
and that, that's going to help people feel safe, but it's also going to mean that the priority of the road network is given to those users that we're trying to promote to use it the most. And okay, so you can do the detection, that side of things, but how easy is it to integrate into the actual traffic management systems? The Gridsmount solution itself uses machine vision and AI. To, to make the operation of it as easy as possible. It's very integratable, it's easy for use with the, the engineers, but it also connects directly into the, the legacy controllers and new controllers to allow direct control of those assets. Is this a totally new product or is it already installed anywhere? The provision that we're doing is fairly new concept. We're starting to see things emerge in Europe that are doing similar things using machine vision. GridSmart's got one step above that. In America it's got a really wide base existing um, and it's been proven to work there effectively for, for a number of years so really excited about bringing what is proven technology that adds real benefit to Europe. Which is first the horse or the cart in this situation are you pushing a product looking for demand or are you actually reacting to widespread demand from authorities that actually really want to do this? So the government's seen the benefits of active travel Covid's taught us that people do want to be out and about and they do want to gain the benefits that that provides this is a response to that I think we were early in the development of it to see that need, but being able to, to use the technology to add benefit and continue the benefits that we've seen through COVID through increased active travel use is tremendously important. And it also helps with the environmental issues that we're all seeing and local authorities with the, the climate emergency. Active travel is a big part of solving those problems. So we, we think there's a, we're addressing a real problem. I think there's a great place for it in the market. Um, and we're really excited about bringing this technology over. So that's interesting stuff there. And you mentioned Teledin Fleur. Just now, you spoke to them as well. Yep, I spoke to Benjamin Shirok about their thermal imaging cameras. Uh, they So they were showing off their cameras as well this uh, last week in Hamburg. They've got thousands of them uh, keeping the city moving. With Traficon, uh, we started our our venture with thermal cameras. But of course, with FLIR, we had a very strong partner with thermal cameras and we could gain from that. And today, our portfolio is mostly based on thermal cameras and we are expecting the same under Teledyne, of course, now. And what are you showing off on the stand this week? So we are showing on the stand our new Termicam AI and our Traficam AI. These are urban sensors for de- collecting data. So in, in general, we are still, as we started with Traficon, we are replacing the loops in the ground. That's something we still do today. But of course, we are using the image for much more information to tell the operators how many vehicles, how many cars, how many trucks, how many bikes. But we also get questions like we want to make classes like pedestrians, bikes, but also maybe scooters in the future. And they AI is a super uh, perfect uh, tool for that. It's such a theme when you talk to lots of companies exhibiting here is the importance of removing the need for anything in the roadway and having it above ground and a sensor that is so much quicker and easier to install and to then maintain. Above ground is very important today because cities are moving, cities are rebuilding. We see all around the cities, we see constructions and that is because cities are just changing. And if you everything that you put in the ground you need to to a certain moment remove and you have to put it in there but everything that is above ground you can keep during the changes and still collect data and you talk about cities moving well one thing i've been really quite impressed with in my week here in hamburg is how few traffic jams i've actually seen certainly in the center of the city and uh, your kit is actually being used to help keep uh, the transport system moving absolutely hamburg is a very nice example because that's one of the closest sensors uh, in amount of sensors that we have in europe we have nearly around 
2,700 sensors, thermal sensors installed in Hamburg that are 24-7 collecting the traffic data and helps the city to really know what's going on in the city. Just explain to me the AI behind it. There are two parts to the solution. You've got the actual camera that is on the roadside, but then it's the software behind it that actually interprets the images and gives you the information that you need. Exactly. So in Hamburg we are not using AI right now because that's a new product, but AI will help us in two ways. So the first way is to make it faster to, to install these things because AI just helped the operator or the, the installer to, to uh, do the installation quicker. And the second thing is we have absolutely new things that we can do with AI. In general AI works uh, like with a child. You show a child a book and let's say you say that's an elephant and the next week you go to the zoo and the child will say hey that's an elephant and that's actually what we do with AI. We learn AI, we annotate things and then we can do whatever we actually want to do with these kind of images and detection. You're listening to Highways Voices with a roundup of some of the bits I couldn't fit in from our podcast from Hamburg and the ITS World Congress, uh, generously sponsored by Swarco and Gevi. We'll have more in a moment, but first it's time for Adrian's Accolade. And Adrian, have you got an accolade this week? So I think this this week, Paul, I, I've, discard, I've decided to go a bit out of the box with my accolade, and I, I think you deserve the accolade for going all the way to Hamburg, for filling in those forms to get in and out the country, and for spending your week doing uh, doing an excellent podcast. So I'm afraid you're the winner this week. Um, that's, yeah, thank you. That, that basically means you couldn't find another one, Adrian. But thank you. I will take praise wherever I can. Uh, I, it, was, it was quite tough work. Usually I've got a team together uh, working with me on these podcasts. It was a little me on my own some last week. But as I say, really got to thank Swarko and Gevi for their sponsorship and for everybody pretty much being in the place they were supposed to be at the time they were supposed to be to allow me to uh, actually uh, do the interviews in an efficient way. Um, it was fun and I look forward to, to doing more with you at uh, Highways UK in a couple of weeks' time. So I'm very proud. I think this, for the first and last time, uh, this week's... Adrian's accolade. ...is little old me. So thank you very much, Adrian. You're you're very kind. Um, right, let's next hear from Soprasteria, who took over the running of National Highways Traffic Information Service earlier in the year. They were one of the supporters of the UK Pavilion, run by ITS UK, Innovate UK, the Department for Transport and Transport for West Midlands. It's about time we got an update on how it's all going with them. So I spoke to Executive Client Director Mark Oldfield. Going really well actually. Really surprised on um, how well we've actually transitioned over from the existing supplier and we're right at the start of our transformational program which is really really exciting and going to move everything into the cloud and then try to make it far more sort of innovative and engaging for the users. So really looking forward to that. And what do you mean by innovative and engaging and what's in it for the user? I think it's sort of getting prepared really for the future around connected vehicles. If we want to be really radical, in five, ten years time we won't see signs on the side of the road because that, that information will be projected straight into your car. My background is in traffic information. I got into this game sort of 20, over 20 years ago now running radio traffic news um, operations and the quality of the data compared to when I started which was pre the original English National Traffic Control Centre we would gather our information and you're going to laugh at this by phoning little chefs and petrol stations asking them to look out the window and tell us what the traffic was like. Well I think it's gone on a little bit since then I mean we've got a number of different data feeds already that we that we use but I think the real bit is the way we're 
sort of constructing the whole new transform service is that we can keep ingesting more and more data as and when it becomes available as our you know, digital age really accelerates. And what does it mean for the user and who are the users? Are you thinking of the end users or are you thinking of, as I look around the halls here, people like here and TomTom and Inrix that are then value-added service providers? Are you offering the data both directly to the end user and to those companies? Uh, well, it is directly to the uh, end user and I think, I think we are actually doing it into those, um, those other organisations as well. But I think the really interesting thing is that what we're doing is, is actually where I able to because we're taking so much data in we're actually able to create added value of that ourselves and not just sort of rely on those organizations to just to be that only that only route to that value sounds like there's a podcast in the making actually up in Quinton just outside Birmingham in the West Midlands where we can really dig into all the work you're doing so uh, I think I've just invited myself up at some point in the next few months if that's okay not a problem you're more than welcome so interesting stuff there and a future podcast no doubt and you like telling that little chef story don't you Yes, thank you. I do find myself telling that story, mostly because people don't actually believe it's true, but I can promise you it is. That's how, when I ran this radio traffic news company, which I took over running the operations for in 2000, uh, that's how we did it. But anyway... I like that story so much so Adrian you're going to hear me uh, reference it again in the final interview from the event that I'm going to play twice a year my inbox receives loads of news from the mapping company here once during the consumer electronics show in Las Vegas and once during the world congress but rather than me summarize what they've announced let's hear from chief product officer Jorgen Berens who'll sum it up much better than I will we had a big announcement with a new evolution of our traffic service which is used by many car companies many apps many authorities many other companies around the world to power navigation systems, traffic analytics and other use cases and where we're introducing more predictive traffic. We also talked about our participation in an initiative called Mobility Datenraum, which is a European initiative to basically establishes a trust and security centric architecture in, in, in which B2B companies can exchange uh, mobility data. There's a lot of use cases where services can be improved if they can use data that's also generated for mobility operations and uh, today a lot of the data is locked in silos inside companies and this hopefully will allow people to collaborate better. Clearer rules and clearer kind of ways of exchanging data between them, safeguarding privacy and security. And then we also showed, not sure it's a prototype or a proof of concept with Deutsche Bahn and a number of other partners including Bosch, where we are actually applying HD map technology that we developed for autonomous driving use cases in in the car to trains and so there's a train running in Hamburg on a track without a driver that navigates well it's maybe a little bit of a wrong term on the rail but it kind of positions itself very accurately using sensors and the HD map that we that we developed of that that uh, part of the rail network and railway operators like Deutsche Bahn can use that to create driverless trains but also to increase the density of trains on their network so we can transport more people without having to build new track. This is all fantastic stuff and the, the, the theme that runs through it and in fact the theme that runs through the whole of the event when you talk to everybody is that actually if you took out the location capabilities of intelligent transport systems you wouldn't actually be able to do very much at all. To be honest what you do and I suppose the other mapping companies is underpin pretty much everything the whole of our industry does. Yeah, I think the intelligent transportation systems would just become transportation systems. They would lose their intelligence, right? So this is a world that is entirely rooted in location. It, it's, uh, it's, it's one gigantic location use case, uh, as is 
transport and logistics, and also obviously automotive. Right, so they're all industries that have a um, that are inherently about mobility, that are inherently about location. And so, uh, it's very true. The map, but also the let's say the, the the services that you can build on top of the map, and the complementary content that companies can build and, and data that companies can build on top of the map is is the essential ingredients to all of these use cases. And finally, indulge me, because when you talked about the accurate traffic information, my background over 20 years ago, as I often mention on uh, my podcast, is I started off doing radio traffic news. And when I was in charge of bringing information for my radio traffic news company, we used to phone gas stations and roadside diners and ask them to look out of the window and tell us what the traffic was like. That was genuinely how we did it, along with listeners calling in, check calls to police, and uh, some spotter planes looking out from on high to see where the traffic jams were. I then worked on some very early prototype floating vehicle data projects and so I've always had a fascination in it. Now, how accurate when you actually analyse it are we when it comes to knowing where the traffic jams are and the effects of them? Well, the, obviously there's a vastly more data available from, from phones, from fleets, from passenger cars that are all connected and with more data and more density of data and more also variation in sources, fleets, uh, taxi fleets have very different behaviours from passenger cars for example, we are getting more and more coverage uh, of the road network including also the so-called lower function class roads, you know, the more let's say rural roads. And so we're able to provide traffic information with much more granularity. But in addition to that, because we are starting to understand the, the way kind of people move around the road network, we're starting to include factors like weather information, uh, sensor information from uh, let's say other car sensors like traction control that maybe tell us about road conditions. We're actually more and more capable of predicting what will happen with the traffic. Right? And so this is a very interesting capability because on, on longer uh, journeys, uh, often what you know the situation 30 minutes or 60 minutes away from you is not that relevant because it will be very different by the time you get there but if you can if you can predict traffic based on seasonality based on weather conditions based on visibility based on uh, let's say what you see happening on feeders feeder roads of the of the roads that you're like that you're predicting the traffic on it's 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 more possible to to sort of see into the future and to have high, kind of you know to use machine learning effectively to predict what will happen and that's the direction we're going into to make the the route that's calculated based on this traffic even more accurate, but also to help the authorities and the cities that manage the road network to sort of look into the future as well and make decisions now that can change that future, you know, can change that prediction. That's Jorgen Behrens of here. And Adrian, did you know that when I ran a radio traffic news company, we had to call little chefs and petrol stations? Uh, apparently, yes. I, I believe that's not the first time you told me. Yes, thank you very much indeed. Right, I think that's definitely it for these podcasts from the ITS World Congress. Thanks to Gevi and Swarko for making it all possible and to you for listening. Now, we'll be back on the road in two weeks' time when Adrian and I will be at Highways UK, the major transport event in the country. It takes place at the NEC, so we'll look ahead to that and have plenty of other transport-related chat again next week here on Highways Voices. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 